0: 14 verses 15 we'll start there and then we're going to read through read through the end luke chapter 14 starting in verse 15 let's have a word of prayer just pray that god opens your heart this morning father god we love you we thank you for your goodness and your grace father your word is so good this passage is so rich. May it be your words, the seed of the word of God falling on good soil this morning. Father, if there's not good soil, but there's the potential for good soil, I pray that uh, we would just confess that sin. We would get those things out of, out of the way so that your word can work this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, don't, don't, don't tell the company Salt Life that I ripped their logo off. Um, (laughs) it's not like I'm publishing it for any other, uh, copyrighted material, but the title of the message today is salt life. And I, obviously I, I thought of this company, uh, and fishing, which is something that happens a lot around our area and some of you that do it, uh, and that I get to go fishing with you. Thank the Lord for people in church that have boats. Um, (laughs) I see how it is though. Mr. Chuck and I, we go out fishing and we catch nothing. And then he goes out this week. Oh, brother, you should have made time. I'm like, well, I was building the sound booth. And he's like, I caught 10 rockfish, 150 perch. And no, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But it was like, I mean, they had a good day out on the water. Um, But anyway, so salt life, we we think of uh, all things fishing and boating. But Jesus talks about salt life in a different perspective in the text that we're about to approach. And I'm going to use that as the premise to build a powerful, powerful thought. That when it connects, I'm just going to let that thought and you be for a while. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the thought from Scripture, the Word of God, and, it, and all its power and all its glory. And I'm just going to say, why don't you take that home and munch on it a little while. That's, that's how we're going to end the service. You're just going to take the text. The, when, when the point of this comes to fruition, when it comes to a head, and then you and the Lord are going to have some some business that you need to, to work out. I'm just going to tell you right from the, right from the get. Um, that this is an intrusive, it is a powerful meddling truth that we're going to dive into this morning. So I, I hope you're ready for that. So let's read the whole passage, and then we'll jump in, and I'll, I'll pull out the points, and and then you're going to go home thinking. Okay, sound good? Luke 14, verse 15. Of course, we ended this uh, not last week. We gave a special message at the end of VBS, which ties in wonderfully and that's how it always works right Uh, but nonetheless we're picking up remember table manners right jesus is invited into this pharisee's house and he set up do you guys remember the story he set up there's a man there that they were left with the question do i heal him do i don't heal him he leaves the pharisees what speechless not like shane and shane speechless but like speechless you know what i'm saying Anyway, I heard that song the other day with Tori Kelly on it. That was some good stuff. Anyway, moving on. I guess you guys haven't heard the song, but it's a good one. You should look it up uh, if you're married. Anyway, uh, verse 15, he's in the room, same context, same house, conversation continued. And when one of them that sat at meat with him heard these things, when he heard these things, he said unto him, so if you haven't heard, go back and listen to that message, okay? Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. That's a statement there that a man pushes back from the table and he says, You know what? Blessed is he that's going to have a meal with Jesus. Remember that context. Table manners. Not the people that they were inviting, but those that were without. Remember, invite those that can't pay, right? Man, I want to preach that message again, but I'm not. (laughs) <laughs> blessed is he that shall bread, this keeps cutting out in the kingdom of God, verse 16 then said he unto him a certain man, here's a story made a great supper and bade many, said, many people to come, and he sent his servant at supper time to say that were bidden come for all things are now ready and they all with one consent began to make excuse Everyone who was, what? Invited. Follow follow what's going on here. They're there in the Pharisee's house, set up the meal. Everything was set up. Jesus basically fries them, roasts the Pharisees like he always does. And a man pushes back one of his disciples, someone who is learning and thinking. He says, you know what? Blessed is the man that's going to eat at the table with this man, with Jesus. And then Jesus decides to tell a story about a man that's throwing a massive party and he's invited a ton of people. And then when the dinner is ready, he sends a servant and says, Go tell everybody who was invited that it's ready. Look at verse number 18. And they all, with one consent, began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I've bought a piece of ground. And I must needs go and see it. I pray uh, thee have me excused. And another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen. And I go to prove them. I pray uh, thee have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife. And therefore, I cannot come. Well, we all know that. Once you get married, you can't go out with the boys anymore. You know what <laughs> Anyway, verse 21. So that servant came and showed his lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded and yet there is room. Are you getting the picture of what's happening here? And the Lord said unto the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be what? Filled. For I say, verse 24, unto you that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my what? Everybody who had an invitation originally, guess what? They ain't going to eat. Verse 25, stay with me. And there were great multitudes with him. And he turned and said unto them, kind of a break here in the story. If any man come to me, you got to watch this. You have to watch the way this develops. If any man come to me and hate not his father and his mother and his wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, his own life also, he cannot be my what? Disciple. What's the goal here? The goal is to, to eat of that meal. The goal is to get to the table. The goal is to be one of those people that enters into the kingdom, not that is outside. The goal was for Noah's family to be saved in the ark and all of those that went, oh no, the door is now What? Shut. You understand. So, so what is he saying? He's saying, I got to hate my mama. Mama, I hate you. I don't really. I just, Jesus told me to say that or else I couldn't be his disciple. (laughs) That's what the Bible, that's what he's saying. No, it's not what he's saying. Follow the logic. Verse 26, if any man come to me and hate not his father and his mother, right? Verse 27, and whosoever doth not bear his what? Cross, and come after me cannot be my what? Disciple. So if you don't hate your mom, 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 family, all the way, if you don't bear your cross, verse 28, for which of you intending, he, he's giving context, he's giving context, I love these little stories, ready? For which of you intending to build a tower, or a sound booth, for sake of illustration, <laughs> sitteth not down first, and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it, lest, haply after he laid the foundation, and is not able to finish it, and that all behold it, and begin to what? mock him saying this man began to build it and wasn't able to finish it. In other words, who buys land on the water and and is ready to go. I got my salt life ready, knows <laughs> that? I got a couple dollars in the bank. Let's go build it and you pour the foundation and then you run out of what? Who does that? Oh, well, actually a lot of people. <laughs> no. I'm but seriously, that's what he's saying. Who does that? He's giving context to this thought. If you don't leave your father and mother la 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 you with it? You ain't my disciple. Look at verse 32. I'm sorry, verse 31. Or, here's another illustration, what king going make war against another? going to make war against another king sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he is not able with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20? Just a bigger scale, right? Same problem, larger scale. Or else, while others is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage and, and desire. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsake not all that he hath, he cannot be my what? Disciple. Next verse. Hashtag salt life. Salt is what? Okay, alright. But if the salt hath lost its what? Wherewith shall it be what? It is neither fit for the land, nor yet for the dunghill. But men cast it out. He that hath ears to what? Let him what? I'm going to ask you something this morning. You got ears? You got ears? You ready? Buckle up. Blessed is everyone that eats bread at the table. We're going back. Stay with me. Blessed is everyone that eats bread at the table. Yes, that's the whole point. Matthew 5, 6 says this. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be satisfied. For they shall be filled. There's something that we're we're getting here. There's a difference. This man prepared this great, wonderful, probably a a once-in-a-lifetime meal. And people didn't come and eat it. Jesus is talking on another level. Do you get that sense? Do you get the sense that he's talking in a different context of just regular food? He's not talking about, yo, let's order some Uber Eats real quick. I'm hungry. We've got to make it down the road. He's not talking about McDonald's. He's talking about a different kind of meal here. Blessed is everyone that eats bread at the table. And from even the Beatitudes perspective, we find that there are those who hunger who thirst. Those are two requirements for eating a meal. Are you hungry? Or are you thirsty? Because if you're not hungry, if you're not thirsty, then you're not going to want to what? You're not going to want to eat. You're not going to want to drink. So therefore, we're left with categories. People that were invited to said meal that are no longer going to partake. And then there's this whole group of people who came in hungry and thirsty. Who came? and ready to partake of the meal. You get what I'm saying? And then he starts going off on these tangents talking about being his disciple or not being his disciple. You understand? Like, this is kind of interesting. Let me ask you this question. We're going to kind of bounce back and forth in this tension of meal eating, meal prepping. We're not going to talk about dieting. I don't want to go there. But we're going to use that illustration to kind of build up here. Let me ask you this question. At the meal, with, with Jesus, those that are going to eat of the bread, and if it's still fuzzy for you, it's okay. We're going to develop it. Let me ask you this. What's on the menu? What's on the menu? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You see, when, when we become a disciple of Christ, we hold up the menu, the Word of God. We see all kinds of things that are available for our consumption. Once again, some that didn't make it, some that did. So let me ask this question. I feel like it's almost like begging the question. What's on the menu, Jesus? If you got all these people who knew that it was going to be an awesome dinner. That's the context. If you dig into the, the text, this man spent big bucks. It was an elaborate celebration. And all these people were invited. So you can almost just get the sense like they were like, hey, what's on the menu, bro? I just got married. Uh, I just bought five oxen. You know what I'm saying? It's like he's cooking. I don't know. You ever visited places that had weird food? You know, it's like you get the sense that they didn't like what was on the what. (laughs) I have to add this in here. Some of you, what people think about when they go to a meal with the Lord Jesus Christ, in other words, when they make a decision to follow him, yes, I want to sit at the table, Jesus. Yes, I want to have the meal that you've prepared for me. In other words, live the life that you've prepared for me. I'm reading a book called God, Greed, and the Prosperity Gospel. Dude, this book is like unreal. Unreal. Costa Hinn wrote the book. The nephew of the famous televangelist, Benny Hinn. Anybody know that name? Benny Hinn. Faith healer. Going to countries and offering healing. If you'll just believe. If you'll just sow into my ministry seeds of faith with dollar amounts. I'll bless it and God will return it. And they use this principle called 100-fold. And there are, in, in my experience, little versions of this all over, all over the country. There's little versions of this prosperity gospel where preachers talk to you about go, going ahead and just giving of yourself that you can get in return. Right? Stay with me. If you'll just give to God, if you'll bring a dish to the dinner, right, and sit down, then you'll be blessed. You might bring green bean casserole, but he's going to give you filet mignon. Right? This sort of exchange is what so many people are confused with when it comes to Christianity. They think that the table is set for people to get what they need physically, so to speak. And so when they come to God and they want to eat at the table and and they want to have a relationship, they're coming like this. They're coming with their hand out, and it's because of false prophets. It's because of people that are preaching that you're, gonna, you're gonna, the windows of heaven are going to open on you, and, and he's going to bless you, and unfortunately, those things are taken out of context grossly. God does uh, take care of his children. He will bless you, but there are things that are within the context of that blessing. It's not the basis of that acceptance. First Corinthians 2, 9 through 10 says, But as it is written, I have not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God prepared. When the meal was done, he sent his servant. He says, Go bring a man. You know what? You want to understand something? The Apostle Paul says, You can't even imagine what God prepared for you. So what's the difference between these prosperity preachers, these people that are posturing the gospel for something for you to receive now instead of later? Something for you to receive as an end of of your joining as a disciple of Christ. Your being a good disciple means that all of these benefits come with it. You're signing an agreement that comes with a benefits package of being a Christian. That's not what I see. I don't see that. What I see is that I don't even see it. I don't even understand when we talk about what's on the menu. I can't even fathom it. But God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. What I do know is that it's a spiritual connection to what He has prepared for me. And that I'm getting an intangible dose, something of grace and mercy and and peace, and it is facilitating my life in Him to be lived, whether I'm suffering or whether I'm in excess. I'm receiving something spiritually that is preparing me for whatever God has for me. What's on the menu is spiritual. Hey, let me ask you this question What's exciting about a new restaurant? Anybody? Somebody tell me. What's exciting about a new restaurant? How about what? Say it again. Going in and seeing it. it. The experience. What's what's something else about going to a new restaurant? The food. Right? Something else? Clean? Yeah. Man, with three kids, eating a meal. Just kidding, babe. You always keep our house. You know what I'm saying? I wasn't saying it. It's nice to go someplace that people are paid to keep that place clean, and you can eat in that that environment. It's like, (sighs) And then we're like, we go home, and it's like, yeah, who's making the mac and cheese? Well, i got to clean a pan first. It's nice to go and not have to worry about those things. What's something else someone enjoys about going to a new restaurant? It's new. The excitement. I put trying something different for me. I like that. I like trying something different. Or getting what you love done the way you love it. I'm going to go get something I love, done the way I love it, or (laughs) perhaps even better than I could do it, right? I mean, I love mashed potatoes and gravy, you know what I'm saying? But if we go to Cracker Barrel, we're going to get it in a really good way. Biscuits and gravy, you know. But if I can go to a restaurant where they do it well, I'm going to really enjoy that experience, right? What keeps us from a certain restaurant? Bad Bad food. That's one of them. Huh? bad service. And what'd you say? Reviews. Those are the three things I wrote down. What keeps us from a restaurant are bad reviews, bad food, and bad service. How many of you eat out at least once a week? Uh, A little more than half. Yeah. It happens. You know? It's our culture. But what we understand is that we can go to Yelp, we can go to Google, and we can look at 3.2. Are we going or are we not going? I'm not going. <laughs> Listen, there's more choices out there, people, okay? You're the ones that are keeping that doggone place open. Stop going there. It's 3.2. Oh, man, don't go. 4.5 or greater, right? That's what I'm saying, man. I'll, let's go. Let's check it out. They earned my visit. Let me ask you this question bad reviews, bad food, bad service. Which one of these will keep you from the table of grace? What will keep you from the kingdom of God? What will keep you from eating the meal with Jesus? Which one? Well, you know, I I think that he should have healed my my son, my daughter. I think that he should have saved my marriage. Don't go to church, it's not going to work. Bad reviews. Well, we had a pastor this one time, that guy, all he kept teaching was prosperity, and he was the only one prospering, hashtag Benny Hinn, living in an $8.5 million mansion in Malibu, driving a Bentley, full-time servants, oh yeah, you're, Lord's blessing, no, you're a crook, bad reviews, bad service. Man, they just couldn't get the doggone lights right. Well, if Mo would keep off the switches. No. <laughs> we ain't going back to that one. <laughs> Listen, church. What's, I mean, this is funny, but I've heard of people leaving the church for a lot less. You know, I've been around church a long I was <laughs> My first church service was nine months before I was born. I've been raised in church my whole life. I've seen a lot of them come and go. What will be the thing that keeps you from eating at the table of grace? That question alone is enough. Let's go back to our text. On Jesus' end, on Jesus' end, look at verse 16. Verse 16, come on. Truth bomb on its way. Luke 14, verse 16. Then said he, a certain man made a what? Great supper. Let me tell you this on Jesus' end, there's three things that I see. It's not of a lack of an invitation. What will keep you from eating at the table of grace? What's going to keep you from church? It ain't a lack of an invitation. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. It ain't because Jesus ain't saying, hey, come all ye. What's that verse there under that one, Jose? I think it's Matthew maybe. Look at this one. Come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden. And I what? Will give you rest. It's not for an invitation. Jesus tells a story and he says, this man made this incredible meal. And let me tell you something. He, what? Invited people to him. It ain't for a lack of an invitation. What's another reason that you won't eat at the table of grace? Well, I'll tell you what it ain't. What you're not going to do, right? You no. What you're not going to do is blame Jesus for not inviting you because he did. What you're not going to do is say that it was for a lack of resources. Verse 17 in the text says, And he sent his servants at suppertime saying, To them that were bidden, come, for all things are now what? Ready. The meal's done. It ain't for a lack of resources. Here's a verse that I thought about. Romans 5.11. This is my cardio. You know what I'm saying? And not- only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom we have now received the atonement. It ain't for a lack of resources. The blood of Christ was enough for anybody to come to the table. The blood of Christ, His payment will set a table big enough for anybody to eat at. Everybody's invited because my main man paid the price for everybody to come. The table of grace is set What will keep you from the table? And I'm giving you these things because you have to put them in your little fanny pack of spiritual tools because when you encounter people on the street, you know what I'm saying, that say, I ain't going to church. Why? Because of fill in the blank. Oh, no. Jesus paid your way. Oh, no. His price bought all the resources. You don't have to do anything good yourself. You ain't got to bring your green bean casserole. In fact, please leave it at home. (laughs) What you're not going to do is say on Jesus' end that there's a lack of room. Verse 22 in the text says, And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room even after all the people didn't show up and he opened the door for the party and said, okay, no cover charge. Anybody can come in. And everybody came in. There was still what? Here's what I thought about. John 14, 2, in my father's house are many mansions. I know it's a stretch, but I liked it. If it were not so, I would have told you, I'd go to prepare a place for you. And I will come again. Church, you're not going to say... That Jesus didn't invite you. You're not going to say that he can't afford you. And you're not going to say that there ain't room. Because there's room. Hey, look around. Is there a seat next to you? Oh, yes, there is. That's right. The problem isn't on Jesus' end. Yes or no? Oh, come on. Oh, you know it's coming. Here comes the truth bomb. Oh, here it comes. The problem ain't on Jesus' end. Yes or no? That's right. It's not. Whose end is it on? Ours. It's on my end. If I'm not eating at the table of grace today, it's on me. It's not on him. (laughs) This is it. This is salt life right here. Verses 34 and 35 in the text say, Salt is good, but if the salt hath lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? Salt in this context is preserving. It ain't about, hey, river, go grab me the salt real quick. I need my taste enhanced on my food. That's not what he's saying. He's saying salt in this day and age was used largely to preserve, to put on. But you find salt in the Dead Sea, in this context, in this area, that lost its ability to preserve. So them at this story, them at this table, if you will, in the multitude, when they hear Jesus talking about salt that lost its savor, yeah, that's right, that's like all that salt down on the dead sea. The sea that goes nowhere. The sea that everything dumps into and it produces nothing. Here's what Jesus was saying. Here's what salt life means. Salt life (laughs) I gotta stay in my notes. Salt losing its saltiness. Salt that has lost its ability to preserve. A disciple that was a disciple that is not a disciple anymore. Salt that loses its savor was a picture of a disciple that is not a disciple anymore. Jesus doesn't want this to be a one-time, one-year, one-lifetime thing. He wants this to be an eternal decision. He wants you to have a permanent seat at the table. Church, this this is where the rubber meets the road. This is why he said, if, if you're not willing to leave father, mother, sister, brother, if you're going to set out to build a house and you only have money for the foundation, then what, what business do you have? You don't have any business. You're going to have to walk away from that house halfway through. The whole context, the premise of this story I propose to you is the fact that he's saying to you, I don't want you to walk away. I don't want this to be a decision that you make to be my disciple. And then in six months, you're not going to be here. I need you, if you're going to be made to preserve, to preserve. I need you, if I call you to be my disciple, I need to be able to put you on food. And I need you to keep that food. And if you're going to flake on me halfway through, if you're going to be like the salt that's on the Dead Sea, don't even get started. That's what he's saying. What good is salt when it loses its ability to do what it was made to do? Let me ask you this. What does it mean to count the cost? If, if he said in this text, why would you start a project that you don't have money to finish it? You must, if you're going to be my disciple, count the cost. <laughs> What's it mean? Consider this with the premise in mind longevity. Verse 28. For which of you intending to build, do it without sufficient shit? You set out to build a tower and run out of money. It costs the gospel. Listen to this. It costs the gospel when you say you are in and then call it quits. It costs. Your faith. Your faith has to be real. Count the cost. Here's where we're landing the plane on your end, because we already know that it's good on Jesus'. Do you really want to commit to Jesus? Simply what? Oh, my goodness. Simply. A little better. I'm getting dizzy. Simply. What did it cost to eat at the table? This is a mind-blowing truth. I'm telling you. All of you are going to send emojis. It cost nothing. I'm telling you, this is like, it's, it's giving me chills. What did it cost to eat at the table? It cost nothing. Literally, reduce everything to nothing. I wish someone had told me this truth years ago. I wish someone had read this passage and and looked me square in the face and said, the gospel is going to cost you everything. And I wish that I would have understood it. In my mind, as a 12-year-old, when I surrendered to preach the gospel and give Jesus my life, (laughs) I thought, I have to give those things, what? Up. That's what I thought. How many find it hard to balance the thought of what does it mean to give up things for Jesus and living my normal life as a Christian? How many struggle with that? What does that mean? I want, stay with me, I want to serve God and Pastor Matt and every other pastor on the planet says that I have to be willing to give everything up. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean I wake up this morning and and write a check for everything out of my bank account every day? Okay, I'm giving it all. (laughs) Is that sustainable, yes or no? It's not sustainable. So what does he mean? Because I guarantee you, I guarantee you, he's not saying something here that doesn't make sense. He's saying something that makes complete sense. So here's, here's what I came to. Everyone that was invited to the dinner didn't show up for one reason or another, right? But who came? Huh? Huh? Those who had what? Nothing. Thank you, Mr. Dave. The people who came were those who had nothing. And then he talks about counting the cost. So here's what I proposed to you this morning. Everything in your life needs to be brought to nothing. Reduce everything to nothing. Let me explain it this way. Life's relationships buckle up are negative equity if they are more valuable to you than your relationship with Him. If Jesus is the most valuable relationship you have, then you find deeper wealth in your marriage as you pursue a relationship with Jesus together. The second you value in this life anything as transactional instead of relational, you're in danger of losing your saltiness. The second you enter into life and you go, I'm going to do this because I need this, you're losing your saltiness. Your life has become transactional rather than relational. That's what he's saying. He's not saying don't love your mama. He's not saying don't love your kids. Every one of us in here that has children loves our children. What he's saying is put me first. Put my relationship first in your life and all your other relationships will make sense. Don't not have a relationship with your mama. Just let your relationship with your mama flow out of your relationship with me. You see, if I'm first, then you're salty. You know that. Y'all are the wrong kind of salty. Salt life. What does it mean? It means that Jesus can put you anywhere and you'll preserve the gospel. He can put you in any relationship. He can put you next to your worst enemy. He can put you next to suffering. He can put you in the midst of loss. He can put you in the midst of reversal. He can put you anywhere. And He is first, therefore, you will preserve anything everything that He puts you into. That's the problem! The problem is you're transactional! And if you're transactional, I don't think you're saved. I don't think you're a disciple. I don't think you're a disciple. I said it. God, if I give this, some of you have been living on the law of sowing and reaping your whole life. What the heck are we doing? What are we doing? We're making qualms with the devil! We're saying, if you, if you, if you, if you, I'll do, I'll do, I'll do. You're not salty. You're stale. You're dead. And when those things that you are looking in return don't come back, I'll be looking for you. He says, listen, the point of this whole story is that when I opened the doors to people that had nothing, they were sitting at my table. All those people who had something were nowhere to be found. Why? Because this was transactional. He already told that to the Pharisees. He says, you go pay somebody's meal who can't come back and pay yours. And when we get to the point that we understand 1 Timothy 6.6, godliness with contentment is great gain. When we get there, we're finally living in the land of resourceful relationships instead of transactional behaviors. That are leading to us losing our saltiness. Oh, for the day that we as Christians realize that our marriage should flow out of our relationship with Jesus. Oh, for the day that we are to preserve our children with the gospel and not transactionally raise them. Well, you know, we don't have to go to church today. Oh, yeah, this is more important. Oh, yeah, that's more important. Oh, God, help. Count the cost. That's what I'm saying. We're not going to go build a house and only have money for the foundation. If you know you want to follow Jesus, understand that Jesus has got to come before your marriage. Jesus has got to come before your family. He's got to come before your career. What does that mean? It means that he'll help you through your marriage, through your career, through every trial as you are preserving what is around you. He's not saying write a check for everything in your bank account. He's saying put me in front of your bank account. Give me first fruits. Show me from the Bible that you fear me and that you love me and that you keep my commandments. That's relational. That's when you enter into a season that's tough and you can turn to prayer and make it through because he is a relational God instead of a transactional God. To help all of these people that have been exposed to the prosperity garbage. They're living transactionally through a relationship and they're not salty at all. Once their food is gone, it's what? It's gone. Oh, that's what this means. We need to redefine salt life. We need to stay salty, my friends. People that are salty people are eating at the table. People that put Jesus first and preserve the path. Let's push Jesus and not ourselves. Verse 23. I think I showed my Bible. Is it in there? I don't know if it's in there. Ah, And the Lord said unto the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be what? Unfortunately in America, our houses are going in the wrong direction. People are running out left and right because they're dead. They're transactional. Let me explain something to you. I'm not standing before you today because I'm on the upside of a transaction that I made with God. I'm here today because I have a relationship with Jesus and I'm madly in love with him. And everything else in my life is up for debate. Everything. My relationship, unfortunately, if we get to the point where we've talked about it, where one of our kids goes, goes the way of the world, my first allegiance is to Jesus. I'm going to look right at them, and I'm going to say, I, you know, I accept you as my kid, but I don't approve of what you're doing. And that's on you. And I hope that one day my saltiness is going to preserve them. Why don't you guys be, why don't you get a backbone? Why don't you have faith that Jesus was who he said he was? It's not on him. Go out and fill the house. Man, last time I tried to share my faith at work. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to be okay, sweetheart. They threatened to put me on a pip or something. I don't know, whatever. (laughs) Share your faith. We've only got one shot at this, and it's, it's a cry and shame. Oh, oh, this is really good. This came to me. Thank you, Holy Spirit. It's a cry and shame that people that are on a transactional basis are outperforming you on a relationship one. <laughs> Take that one to the bank. It's a cry and shame that people with the prosperity gospel are putting more people in the pews with something fake rather than something real. Just saying. It's relational. The minute you think that your sin, the minute you think that your sin has more to offer you than your relationship with Jesus, you just revealed to yourself that you're a transactional Christian. Oh, well, I'm just going to sneak off over here and do this, that, and the other, but I'll give my tithe. I'll be at small group. (laughs) Enjoy that transactional relationship. Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. I never knew you. The difference is, is when I'm in a relationship, oh God, I failed you. I am so sorry. Please forgive me. He's a good father. He'll love you through anything. You don't have to be sneaky with a relationship that's a healthy one. You can live in it. Every head bowed, every eye closed. How's